This is the Go Remote Podcast with your host, TJ Bowser, Chad Chrisman, and Big Johnny D. We have such sights to tell you. What's up, everybody, and welcome to the Goremore Podcast. This is your host with the most, TJ Bowser, and joining me as always, your Dark Lord and Savior, Chad Chrisman. What's up, bitches? And the killing machine himself, Bobby Amone. What's going on, everyone? So we got a delightful episode with you guys. Oh, fuck, with you guys today. (laughs) (laughs) Roll with it, roll with it. It's okay. We're we're going to keep going. Keep going. going. Uh, It's different from any other film we've done, but before that, it's Last of Lifetime. So, Chad, what'd you do this week? Not much. Finally got these old fucking couches out of my garage, took them up to the in-laws and burnt them because they were <laughs> no good. And took the kids to some waterfall yesterday, just hung around, hiked around outside. And so, no, I didn't hike alone. I didn't wipe alone either. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but yeah, that was, uh, yeah, that's about all I did. And then today work, so, yeah, whatever. Uh, Bobby, how about you, buddy? Uh, let's see. What did I, I do this week? I, I partied with some guy by the name of TJ. TJ, Woo! you might know him. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> we were at Monster Mania this whole weekend. Uh, we were having a damn good time. Uh, we been partying, meeting celebrities, hanging out, terminating, killing. You name it, we did it. It was a, it was a fun time. Uh, TJ and I actually got to hang out a lot, which was great because I didn't hang out with him so much now but since he's now the boss and now, one of my very good friends. It was just a fun time with him and everybody who came. Tisa was there with us, our friend Julia Ashley, my friends Taylor and Nikki, uh, Jennifer and her boyfriend. It, w- it was a damn good week, and there was tons of people that I could say. General, wouldn't you say so, TJ? Oh, yeah. It was awesome to meet all these people from fans to new friends, from associates. It, it, it just it, it was crazy just to see all the love and support and then to meet all these people that I've talked to online in real life and then see those friendships go from the internet to real life. It was really, really cool, especially some of the aspiring filmmakers that would approach me, you know, to kind of get tips and advice on how to, you know, get their films out there, get them to reach other people and just, you know, kind of utilizing my experience and knowledge over the last couple of years and really taking advantage of that. And, uh, a lot you can see some stuff on Facebook and Instagram people you know meeting me and posting stuff about that whether that be Tisa some people that really really liked my strangers costume and then other filmmakers alike it's it's really really cool to see so much support and love not only for myself but for the Dubak Discussion Network and Goren Moore it was really really nuts and of course the partying with Bobby and <laughs> he knows how to treat a brother right I mean it's it was really really cool and he got me wine drunk, and anybody that can get me wine drunk, I, I appreciate. And then Bobby and I went to Monster Mania with the intentions of cleaning them out of anything that go- was that goes to hell. And I managed to pick up a couple pieces. Bobby kind of 
missed out on the awesome laser disc that I acquired. I told you, I saw that laser disc two months ago. I didn't have the money to pick it up. That same guy is at the same fucking show, but I know where his shop is, so I will go check him out. You need, yeah, you need to get it. It's a really cool piece. I actually ended up having to make a separate shelf, so I now have two goes to hell shelves, and I got tracking information for my dagger, which Chad's going to love to look at. Uh, and then I also have a line on a Duke dagger. You know, the dagger oh, that it transforms weird. into, which I found out it's actually a, a British World War II knife. So, oh, shit, really? Yeah, what okay. I'd like to do is take that, send that to Dale, have him make a mold of it, and then we can make resin copies and we can send them out to the Hellions. Right. There you go. Right. Oh, TJ, by yes. the way, that from it's called Phantom uh, Phantasm Comics in New Hope. So check them out on um, Facebook. There's your plug, guys. There is your plug. He's got tons of figures, comics, magazines, laser discs, even the records. Speaking of shout outs, let's take this opportunity to talk about some of the awesome vendors that we met. Uh, yeah, some Nehi, of them are good friends as well. Nehi Horror had the coolest Jason Goes to Hell pins, patches, and T-shirts that I've seen. And, of course, I picked up the T-shirt, and it is premium premium it is it is great uh i can't wait to wear that and he had patches and the cool thing is is that most of theirs was bubblehead it was that jason face and then it was always tree demons and i love me some tree demons it's <laughs> they, always, they always look good coming after you they do they really do it, it was a really good weekend overall and i have a robert england story that will just blow your fucking mind but i'm gonna leave that for rabbit hole because this week uh, and just, I'm just going to announce that here now. Rabbit Hole is now moving to Saturdays with Jerk the Curtain being on Sundays. So just want to get that out there for all of you guys out there that are listening to those shows as well. And this episode coming up on Saturday will be a Robert England nightmare episode. We will start the episode out with a Robert England interview <laughs> followed up by – uh, some of our stories that Mick and I have of Robert and, you know, kind of like our relationship with him. Uh, it's, it's, it, is a, it, it is a great story. It is. And, it, and I can't wait to share that with all of you listeners out there. But more importantly, thank you all for the love and support on this show. And keep listening because we got some crazy shit coming up. We can't announce it yet, but I promise you over the next couple of months and leading into next year, Things are going to be crazy for our listeners. You guys will be able to hear some really, really unique content from some of your favorite actors and actresses and that you can only find on the Dubak Discussion Network. We had a meeting Place last night, lasted an hour and a half. We had all the big guys over at Dubak on there and we got the chat and we and it just turns out that we are all on the same page we are all aboard because the next year for Dubac is going to be absolutely insane we are perpetuating ourselves is that the proper word to a whole new level of content production really i mean it's it's literally what i strived for it, this is becoming everything and much more than i could have ever hoped in dreams that Dubac would become and i just can't wait to show you guys everything that we have in store but that's enough about the future. Let's live in the present and talk about our film. And this week we have 1979's The Amityville Horror. 
based on a true story that we cannot confirm is real or not. And we will get into that as time goes on. But let's start this off. Chad, would you like to read them sweet notes? I would be delighted. Okay, The Amityville Horror, 1979, directed by Stuart Rosenberg, written by Sandor Stern. That should be uh, just the screenplay. He didn't write the book. Okay. He adapted. I did not. No. Uh, it's produced by Samuel Z. Arkoff, Elliot Geisinger, Ronald Salen, starring James Brolin, father of uh, Josh Brolin, who, of course, plays uh, Thanos in the MCU. Uh, he is George Lutz, mm-hmm. Margot Kidder, and uh, Lois Lane from the Superman movies, uh, as Kathleen Lutz, Rod Steiger as Father Delaney, Don Stroud as Father Bolin, Murray Hamilton as Father Ryan, John Larch as Father Nuncio. There is a lot of priests in this movie. Natasha Ryan. Uh. <laughs> Natasha Ryan as Amy. Casey Martell as Greg. Mino Pilus as Matt. Michael Sachs as Jeff. And Helen Shaver as Caroline. With music by Lalo Schifrin. Cinematography by Fred J. Konekamp. Edited by Robert Brown Jr. Distributed by American International Pictures. Released July 27th, 1979. Has a runtime of eight, 118 minutes. Uh, budget of $4.7 million, and it grossed $86.4 million. It was actually one of the top grossers of that year. Why does the fucking show note say 86 and then a less than symbol than 4? That's a typo. Oh. That doesn't sit right. That, that, that's what happens when I'm up late doing show notes. Uh, so, it's one of the big ones. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's roll that trailer, buddy. Come on. There we go. <laughs> roll it. It's the kind of house they don't build anymore. A relic of a time when the world wasn't in such a hurry. When there was still time for a little charm and elegance. It has stood empty for a long while. And at the price, it is a bargain. For a growing young family... It is almost too good to be true. What do you think? I love it. Long. James Brolin, Margot Kidder, Rod Steiger, in the Amityville Horror. God's peace in this house. to them. 
is an experience in terror you will never forget. And you will believe in the Amityville Horror. From the best-selling book that made millions believe in the unbelievable, the Amityville Horror. trailer i have to, i have to point out how funny it was it said also starring murray hamilton and he's in the movie for one goddamn scene he's in it for like two minutes <laughs> yeah but you know why it's because it's few because years jaws. before jaws was huge yeah it's because of jaws am i an echo you have an echo i don't hear no echo i, I, hear, I hear an echo well then maybe yeah we, we don't hear anything but then don't worry about it Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck for a shit show. Anyway, anyway, based on a true story that was claimed by writer Jay Anson, the Amityville Horror is about a large house on the coast of Long Island. Actually, my grandmother lived a couple blocks away from this house growing up. Yes, she lived on Long Island uh, where newlyweds George and Kathy Lutz and their three children moved into the house where they hope they will be their dream home, which ends up in terror. Despite full disclosure by the full real estate agent of the house's history, Greg and Kathy buy the house because they're fucking idiots. George says house, houses don't have memories, but they turn to the family priest, Father Delaney, who believes the house is haunted and performs an exorcism on the house. He doesn't even knock. He walks right in. But satanic forces in the house causes him to become blind and makes him very sick. With the help of another priest, Father Bolin, and a police detective, George and Kathy face the fears of the house, but not knowing the forces are planning to possess George and the, then the children. Okay, I, I just want to point out something that's actually completely wrong. He wasn't there to perform an exorcism. He was just there to bless the house. Yeah. The, the, uh, they were expecting Yeah. Yeah, they were expecting it. It's not like he just, oh, this place is haunted. I have to exorcise the demons. That's not what happened. He did just fucking walk right in, though. And, well, it yeah. was, and they were on the back. They There's were out back, the right? Yeah. Yeah. Back. yeah. Like, wouldn't you knock? Make, that's why the house actually did that to him, because he was being impolite. That's exactly what it was. He was just being rude. <laughs> They're very polite demons. <laughs> Bobby, but anything you know, to say well, about this? The, the the synopsis here is pretty awesome. Some of the people. is um, Father Delaney, Richard Steiger. It's not his first time battling um, the demon. A demon in this. He was also in End of Days with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Then he also did um, Fist with Sylvester Stallone. So he's had his fair share of movies. So he's been uh, around quite a bit. Oh yeah, I think he was. He was a pretty big name back then. And it's based on a true story. It only makes it scarier. You don't know if it's really true. Yeah, see, I watched a lot of documentaries and stuff on this film uh, because of the connection to my grandmother. And it she always told me growing up that it was a crock of shit. And because <laughs> that's the way she was. But anyway, I so I looked into it a lot more. And there's a lot of people who think this was a hoax because primarily nobody after them experienced dick in this house. Right. But the thing is, is that the murders they show at the beginning actually happened. Mm-hmm. And a guy yeah. managed to kill his entire family with a shotgun. And there's actually eyewitnesses that saw him go out back because in the back of the house was a shed. 
and they saw him go out in the middle of the night, walk back there, get the gun, and then return to the house. But he managed to kill everybody in that house without waking a single soul. And that's the creepy thing and the most bothersome is that that part of the story actually happened. And I'd like to know how the fuck that actually happened. And it's just one of those things that we may never have answers for because of how strange it is. Agreed. And that, that's yeah. actually the scariest part of the story is the fact that those murders happened. And for one, nobody knows why. I mean, I know the guy that did it. Uh, is his name Ronald DeFeo? Yeah, something like that. Uh, yeah, he's he, yeah, that, that's close to it. He originally during the trial, he said that uh, voices told him to do it, like demonic voices told him to do it. But they actually went. He turns out that he was just basically going for an insanity plea. Yeah. So that may or may not have actually happened. He went on the record later on saying that he was drunk and high on heroin, so that's why he did it. His, <laughs> his parents were abusive, but that doesn't explain why he murdered his brothers and sisters and how he did. It. Yeah. Because you yeah. fucking pull that trigger one time, everybody's waking up in that fucking house. It's a big fucking shotgun, too. It, yeah. well, it probably wasn't no little wimpy piece of shit. No. no. So it, it's just one of those mysteries that we can sit here and speculate the entire fucking episode about. But at the end of the day, we'll never truly understand how it happened, what happened, or honestly, why it happened. It's 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 crazy. But moving on, what else do we got? I, I do was go back to the whole murders thing. Okay. Is that that's actually the basis for the second movie, which is a uh, sort of a prequel. It follows that pre-sequel. Yeah, but it, <laughs> but it, uh, it changes the name, so it doesn't actually use the DeFeo names. So. Oh, okay. Well, well, that's good. Uh, Bobby, thing like this story alone, even if you didn't make a movie on it, mm-hmm. that house has gotten so much fucking stealth. I mean, I'm sure this might be in your notes, Chad, but appearance, like current owners have to change the appearance mm-hmm. and live with that. Yeah, yeah. They had, they changed the uh, the crescent-shaped windows, the ones that look like eyes. Yeah. So that yeah. Uh, to deter people, like uh, fans of the movie and stalkers. Oh, okay. That's understandable because I, I could imagine like living there and just having people come up all the fucking time. They, they've even changed the address to try and fool people so they don't know that's the right one. Oh, Hey, it's uh, understandable. Doesn't always though. work. No. Yeah. I mean, they moved the Halloween house, like physically moved it, didn't they? No. Went down the street. Too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did that's, you not know that? No. Yeah, they, they physically moved it. They cut it in half and then moved it. <laughs> and it was purchased for one dollar by the mayor of the town. That's why it was able to stay. Yeah. That's the, cool. That he, that's cool that he did that to preserve the house, though. The more you know. Uh, <laughs> what else do we got? Chad notes. Let me get to my notes here. Yes. It's on a separate page. Okay. I've got a I've got a good bit of notes here. And uh, I don't just have notes on the behind the scenes. I actually did went a little bit further and compared and contrast differences between the book and the movie and oh, different things. Oh, awesome. Uh, and by the Beautiful. way, the, uh, the, the Warren family, the, the subjects of the uh, Conjuring movies, they actually investigated the Amityville house. Really? And, this, was uh, their first, this was their first one. Yeah. And, and uh, some strange shit happened to them, but nothing has ever really materialized since then. But I think that's, uh, that's further on my notes. But... Um, uh, yeah, the, uh, this my first note that goes back to what we were just saying. It says, due to all the unwanted fame the book and film have brought uh, upon the real house in Amityville, the current owners have replaced the evil eye windows with normal rectangular shaped windows. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because the movie was made on a relatively modest budget, James Brolin took less money up front, but with a promise of 10% on the gross sales after its release. That's a pretty good number. Jesus. Yeah. yeah. After That's the movie, the- <laughs> it became an unexpected blockbuster. At that time, it was in the top 10 of all time. Yeah. 
Uh, he eventually received about $17 million. Oh, that reminds me. i got another thing to add. It. Uh, if adjusted for inflation, that would be equivalent to a little over $55 million. Jesus! Speaking, speaking of, and I, I wrote this down, but I forgot my notebook. Um, the part where her brother is getting married. Yeah. And he loses the money for the caterers. And he lost $1,500 for a caterer. I'm like, that sounds like a lot of money for a caterer. Yeah. So I looked Especially at it. Especially at 79 yeah, it's in '79. Yeah, and so I looked it up. I did. The, I googled it and adjusted it for inflation, and it's just over five thousand dollars. What the fuck? My, my whole wedding didn't cost that much. Cook <laughs> for my own fucking wedding. Fifteen hundred dollars, nineteen seventy-nine for That's a lot of money. That's a lot. That's a, that's a that's that's a decent amount. That would get you a decent caterer now. Yeah. Think about that. That's like freaking you're drinking champagne for the entire night. Yeah. For everybody. <laughs> Cater, I'm going to buy a used car. Yeah, $1,500 for a caterer. Jesus. That's Christ. nuts. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad I, I, I looked that up. That's a lot. It is. But, okay. Uh, James Brolin was hesitant when he was first offered role of George Lutz. Uh, he was told there was no script and he must obtain a copy of the book and read it as soon as possible. So he started the book one evening at 7 o'clock, still reading at 2 o'clock in the morning. Uh, he hung a pair of his pants up in the room earlier and had a really tense part of the book. Awesome. Uh, really, <laughs> sorry. Uh, a really tense part of the book. Uh, the pants fell down wherever they'd been hanging and scared the shit out of him. Uh, he jumped out of his chair, nearly crashing his head to the ceiling. It was then that he agreed to do the movie, saying, there's something to the story. Uh, so even though he became friendly with George Lutz and his children, uh, James Brolin actually don't, didn't believe the story. He doesn't believe it happened, and uh, neither does Margot Kidder. Okay, because uh, just it just and it, I think it's further on in my notes, and if it is, I'll skip it. I know it's because um, what James Brolin said was when he went and talked to the family and the kids. Anytime he had a question about what happened, like they instantly had the answer. They didn't even little kids; they didn't have to stop and think, and they just instantly had an answer. And he's like, "Sounds like it's kind of coached, kind of like yeah. made up." So uh, it sounds like you rehearsed it just so you could give the answer. Exactly. So that's why he didn't believe it, and Margot Kidder just doesn't believe anything like that. Um, uh, yeah, so Margaret Kidder also went on the record saying she didn't believe the end of the story either. Um, honey was rubbed on Rod Steiger's head to draw the flies to him. That's how they got all the flies in there. I thought that was pretty fucking weird, actually. That poor guy had to have honey on his head with them fucking flies. Yeah, that had to be... I actually have a story about flies, if you guys like to hear it. Yeah, yeah, sure. Mick Strawn, whenever they uh-huh. were doing Nightmare 3... There is a scene where they had flies flying around something. I can't remember specifically. And I know what it is. The uh, the opening scene where uh, pig Christ- baby. Yeah, the Christ- Christians having the nightmare. Yes, yes, that's what and it is. It was erotic pig. The, yeah. That entire room was filled with flies, but you can't see most of them because the camera couldn't pick them up. Well, there's actually an insect handler. Uh, like the, the B, well, the, the fly overlord, let it be uh, in Hollywood. And Mick had to go to his house. Now, he said, this is a type of guy that refuses to make eye contact with you. <laughs> and it made it super awkward. But the thing is, is that he kept thousands, tens of thousands of flies in a glass case in his basement. And they were just re- reproducing and like stuck in there. And Mick thought, kept thinking to himself, "What if, what if you had a party and somebody fell into that?" Yeah, really. <laughs> 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 it's like Buffalo Bill style. Yeah. 
I, mean, I guess that's probably like in L.A. Mm-hmm. And if there's like an even tiny little earthquake and that thing tipped over yeah. and broke. <laughs> <laughs> oh. A new movie, Attack of the Flies. Attack of the Flies. There yeah. we go. I, I just thought you guys would definitely appreciate a good old mixed drama oh, that's story. Totally, that's totally appreciated. <laughs> it's, it's always a good time for a mixed drama yes. story. <laughs> we can continue. Okay, uh, James right. Brolin's brother was actually used for the image of the bearded man seeing appearing from the uh, Red Room in the cellar. Oh, oh, the Red Room. The Red Room. Uh, yeah. Nobody's bringing up the Red Room? The Red Room that... <laughs> it's in my notes further on, but uh, the Red Room yeah, is actually in the, in the book. It wasn't really hidden. Oh, I was more referring to the fact in its ties to uh, the Fifty Shades of Grey franchise. Well, fuck that shit. <laughs> Why would you even bring that? I am ashamed that you know that. Because they have a little red room in their basement. I am ashamed that you know Well, the only reason I know that is because I've watched the video of Gilbert Godfrey reading the reading excerpts from the book. Oh, God. And it's God. the funniest fucking thing That's in the world. Great. You're going to have to link me to that. You're going to have to see that. That's and he took great. my pants off. Okay, so So yeah, they put a fake beard on his brother for that scene. Uh nineteen seventy nine attor- attorney William Weber, Ronald DeFeo's defense attorney, uh filed a lawsuit against George and Kathy Lutz charging them with fraud and breach of contract. He alleged they had reneged on an agreement to collaborate with him on the book and subsequent movie. In an interview with the Associated Press, he admitted that he and Lutzes had concocted the horror story scam over many bottles of wine. Oh. Which... Oh, if, shit. I mean, this, I mean, this has been public knowledge since since the movie came out, but yeah. uh, I, I still want to know why. Why Why would they Why would they decide to come up with a story and then just leave everything they own behind after 28 days? It, it's weird. I mean, that that's such a chance to take on something like this. And then that's why there's so much controversy because of how fucking strange this entire story is. But a lot of it's so outlandish behind. as well. Mm-hmm. I couldn't leave everything behind. Like, there's there's no way. No. Yeah, because, you know, different things, you know, your furniture and shit, I can understand. But like. Old pictures, things like that. Yeah. Things that are sentimental. I can't imagine leaving no. this behind. Just my, horror, my horror shit's coming with me, all right? <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you, ghost. I, give me a couple, you know, give me a couple hours to pack this shit up and then I'll be out of your hair. You know, just, just, just let me I'm not getting pack. my Jason Goes to Hell poster. They can fuck off. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> I paid money for that shit. <laughs> Fangoria collection too, Bobby. I got a picture to show you later, buddy. I have all the Halloween ones now complete. Ooh, nice. Yeah. And speaking of Fangoria, when it, uh, they were filming part eight, Jason Takes Manhattan, uh, Fangoria was publishing Kane's personal diary pages, and it was really cool. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, they, were, they, were, they were doing that at the time. I have that. Yeah, I have that too. That's, it's really cool. Because I, I don't even know this, but uh, you might not even know this, but he's actually able to vomit on command. Chad, you're the <laughs> only one that's talked about Friday this episode. Oh, I, 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 I said goes to hell, but. No, I'm the first one. Fuck! Ha! God damn it! <laughs> it's so fucking hard. That's what she said. Okay, continue. A different story. Okay, in hopes of creating more publicity for the film, the studio would concoct stories of weird occurrences on the set of the film. So anything that you heard about any weird shit happening, it didn't happen. Ah. Uh, completely made Except up. that random pause whenever they're walking up the steps. Yeah, that was really weird. 
You didn't notice the girl like paused, like the scene paused slightly when they were walking up the steps. Yeah, I noticed, but I was like, "What the fuck is this?" Oh, yeah. Wow, I thought that was just my DVD player. No, that's part of the movie. No, it's part of the fucking movie. <laughs> that's, that's an that's an editing fucking thing. Oh shit! I thought, that, I thought my DVD was messed up. <laughs> no, it's part of the movie. <laughs> Pause this right in the middle here for no reason. Okay, uh, uh, twenty Here's minutes. So twenty minutes into the movie, uh, when she's washing the dishes, Margot Car- Margot Kidder's character. Is actually humming the love scene, the love theme from uh, Superman. Oh, okay. You can hear her singing it clearly. Um, so uh, James Brolin and Margot Kidder visited the real Amityville house as part of a publicity stunt. Uh, while shooting the scene where Kathy Lutz is startled by the red eyes in the window, director Stuart Rosenberg wasn't impressed by Margot Kidder's reaction. According to Kidder, Rosenberg then tried to hold up a day-glow, orange-stuffed velour pig with glass eyes in an attempt to startle her. She said the only result was hysterical laughter, not fear. <laughs> <laughs> nice try. By the way, the actual effect that the kid that was used in the movie wasn't much better. No. Oh, I got some opinions. Oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> oh, oh, the, the shot of the pig with the red eyes and the when he's looking in the window at the end, that is like the worst effect I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. That was horrible. Yeah. Did anybody else have grain issues with this film? Like it's just overly grainy. Oh, I was... Mine was pretty clear, actually. Mine's it wasn't okay. rainy at what, all. What did you oh. watch it on? YouTube. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I, I watched it on the old MGM DVD, and it's not. it, it wasn't terrible. Okay. I, I just feel I like Texas Chainsaw, which came out, what, a year before this? Texas Chainsaw was 70. No, no Texas Chainsaw was okay. 73. 73. Yeah, 74, I think. Oh, 74. 74. No, okay. Halloween came out a year before this. And I feel like Halloween has a better picture than this. That, that, that's all. They also shot it with um, Panaglide widescreen. This movie? Oh, Halloween. Oh, okay. That could be why then. Okay, or it could just be the shitty cin- cinematography in this film as well. But anyway, continue. Maybe. Okay, uh, going on, uh, my next note is actually about the cinematographer. Uh, Fred J. Konekamp admitted to having a hard time filming the scenes with the flies as he claims to be scared of insects. <laughs> he says whenever he had to film a scene with a close-up facial shot of a fly right in the camera... He'd look away or close his eyes and hope for a good shot. <laughs> he also lost nearly 30, 30 pounds because he refused to eat, saying the flies made him lose his appetite. Oh, my God. Oh, that's <laughs> what, a little, what a little bitch. Oh, fucking snowflakes. On food. The flies were in like two scenes, too. So Yeah. I mean, there were two. There's a lot of flies, though. Yeah, a lot of flies in those two scenes, but it was just two scenes. It was the priest. And then when George is trying to open that window, for whatever reason, there's all these flies in there. Mm-hmm. Um, for years, rumors circulated the movie was to be filmed in the actual house in Amityville, but the production team was too frightened to film inside the house. Pussies. The reality <laughs> is the town of Amityville denied American International Pictures permission to film any scenes whatsoever in Amityville in an attempt to distance themselves from any publicity. Ah. Therefore, AIP found a two-story Dutch colonial in Toms River, New Jersey, in which to film the exteriors. <clears throat> uh, they built a third-floor facade along with the crescent moon windows on both sides of the house. So that's not even the Romeo house. And that's not even a th- the third story is completely fake. Wow. Also did all- some filming in Point Pleasant, too. Yeah. Really? The Mothman place? No. Oh, is that not the, Moth- the Mothman place? Mothman's in West Virginia. Oh. Wait, Why that's, the- yeah, no. Point Pleasant in New York or New Jersey? Uh, no, Jersey. Yeah. What? The- Why the fuck does Point Pleasant seem familiar to me, then? Probably have been there. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> not it must have been a drunken orgy night you don't remember Ooh. Uh, anyway all the interior shots were filmed at MGM Studios in uh, California except for a few interior scenes 
filmed inside the actual Tom's River House. It is the Mothman. That's the place where the Mothman Museum is. Okay. Fuckers. <laughs> I'm not crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yet. Continue. <laughs> yeah, there was like one one scene filmed in the actual house, so the rest is filmed in the Indian. That's bullshit. Yeah. Uh, like I said before, Margot Kidder went on record with her friends that she hated the film. Uh, Jay Anson, who wrote the book, actually wrote the screenplay for this, but the producers turned it down. So oh. that's when they found the uh, the guy, Sam, Sandor Stern. They liked his take on it, so he was hired for the job. I guess he was a little bit more Hollywood. Yeah. Harrison Ford was considered for the role of George Lutz after the unexpected success of Star Wars. Uh, Burt Reynolds, James Caan, and Christopher Reeve were also considered for the role. Wow. Couldn't see any of them doing it. No. Maybe It's Harrison. just not a mainstream role. Maybe Burt Reynolds. Yeah. Uh, he has a mustache. He does. <laughs> um, uh, I couldn't take him seriously after Smokey and the Bandit. Okay. Was this before Smokey and the Bandit? Or was it, was it around the same oh, time? Oh, this was right it? after. It was two years after. I trust Bobby. <laughs> 1977. <Yeah>. Trust me. <laughs> uh, James Brolin plays George Lutz and is the father of Josh Brolin. Josh Brolin played Cable in Deadpool 2, which stars Ryan Reynolds in the title role. In 2005, Reynolds played George Lutz in the remake of Amityville Horror. Uh, the character originally played by his Deadpool 2 co-star's father. Nice little uh, tie in there. It's like the degrees of uh, Kevin Bacon. Kevin Bacon, but it's Brolin. <laughs> did you guys uh, see the remake? No, I haven't. I just know that Ryan Reynolds loves axes. I was not a fan of the movie. Okay. He does. Uh, okay, and the true story behind the movie has a special relationship with two modern horror films, The Conjuring and Annabelle. The Warrens, Ed and Lorraine, were also involved with the investigation of the real house, and oddly enough, Amy's doll in the movie is a Raggedy Ann, which is what the real Annabelle is. Okay. Fucking A. And if you watch The Conjuring 2, the beginning of that movie is them investigating Amityville. Oh, okay. Cool. It's been so long since I watched those films. I love James Wan. He did that stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah, I love his stuff. And uh, I ha- I'm going to have to go back through and watch that stuff. I just know that the franchise is getting beaten like a dead horse. And I know that that uh, the Curse of La Llorona film that just came out is part of the Conjuring series. Uh, and they kind of waited to the end to wrap that all in together. So they're doing spinoffs of it now. But uh, it's just I'm just I just can't find myself getting into supernatural horror like like I do with, uh, you know, vampires or slasher films and stuff along. No, that nature, I you know? love that series very much. All the films. Okay. I, I just think it's weird that they've done more Annabelle films than actual Conjuring films. Yeah, it's just yeah, we, we need a third one. And we had well, I pointed this out to somebody. Uh, actually, Sarah, I pointed this out to we went to the movies and I was like, there's three movies right now that are out that are about dolls that are coming to life. And I said, two of them are about ones that kill you. And it was Toy Story <laughs> 4, <laughs> Annabelle and Child's Play. I was wondering what the third one was. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think about Toy Story. <laughs> Forgot about that. It's what's hot right now, you know, uh, fucking Hollywood loves to strike while the iron's hot and then they fucking keep doing it until we can't breathe anymore. That's called beating a dead horse. Yeah, it's it's fault beating it too much. You're going to beat it raw. <laughs> what else we got, Chad? OK, so here's my comparing and contrasting. So in the movie, uh, Amy's babysitter gets locked inside a closet and the lights go out, causing her to knock furiously on the door until her hands are bloody. Oh. Only to discover later there's no lock in the door. Never even happened. Wasn't even in the book. Completely made up for the movie. That's crazy. That's fucking weird. 
Uh, one this in the book. One night, Kathy wakes up looking decades older than she really is, and it takes hours for her appearance to return to normal. In the movie, uh, it's just in the climax of the film. She just briefly appears very old, and it's completely out of context, and she looks normal again in the next shot. That's when George almost killed her with the axe. Yes. When he went after the It's case. like a five-second pan. Yeah, and it was really weird, and it just was completely out of place. So that was another change. Um, in the book, uh, oh, wait, hold on. Uh, Father Delaney in the book holds a mask for the Lutzes, praying for their protection, during which he suddenly goes blind. Again, never happened. Father Mancusa never went blind. He actually did go back to bless the house later on without any incident. In the book, or in the movie, blood leaks from the walls during the climax of the film. In the book, it was just some kind of green slime that sometimes oozed from the walls. In the book, the, weird. The, in the book, the Lutzes discover a hidden red room in the basement while moving shelves as the entrance was hidden behind them. And in the movie, the Red Room has no entrance. The Lutz is discovered by tearing down a wall in the basement. Can I comment on that? It, oh, <laughs> Let's knock the wall down. Cover it up! Cover it up! It's like, what the fuck? Why was she screaming cover up the well when it was already covered up? I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. She realized she made a mistake and said too much, too much, too much. And, and then it's boarded over it, it breaks open at the end of the movie yeah when he fucking falls in it yeah and the dog gets him out and, it's, like, it's like all tar and shit he's in okay so uh moving on past the red room uh in the in the movie kathy sees red eyes peering at her through amy's window there are uh in the book the lots of see red eyes peering at them through the living room window and they find cloven hoof prints in the snow leading to the window the next day of course, there was no snow because the movie takes place in October when it really happened in December. Yeah, that would have been cool, though. It would have been cool. But yeah. In the movie, the hidden red room was rather large. and In the book, the hidden red room was a very small, more like a closet. Okay. And I have this little bit about whether or not it was a hoax. So I'll go into this and then we can debate the uh, pros and cons. And yes. Okay, so is the Amityville story a hoax? Nearly every aspect of what is seen in the Amityville horror movie has been the subject of controversy and debate. The family almost unanimously agrees that the movie is an exaggeration, but to what degree we may never know. The real George Lutz admitted that as of 2005, he had been involved in no less than 14 Amityville-related lawsuits. In an interview with People magazine, George Lutz emphasized that the lawsuits were to protect his family's story rather than being about mommy money. <laughs> Uh, each member of the real Lutz family, except for Missy, who refrains from interviews, has at some point contradicted one or more of the other family members. These particular members of the family have also, on one or more occasions, attempted to profit from their own take on the real Amityville house haunting. None of these facts mean that the entire story is a hoax, but they do allow room for doubt. Perhaps the only fact that is indisputable is that Ronald DeFeo Jr. was convicted of murdering his family in the Amityville house prior to the Lutzes moving in. In 1979, many people believed that the truth behind the Amityville horror had been revealed when attorney William Weber came forward and said that he'd gotten together with George and Kathy Lutz one night and they'd come up with the story of our many bottles of wine. However, the impact of Weber's revelation was short-lived when it was discovered that he was emblazoned in his own legal battle with the Lutzes at the time and may have had motive to purposely discredit their story. So, he may have said that just because uh, of the lawsuit. Okay. That may or may not be true. But that's, that's something we'll never know. We don't like lawsuits here. We do not. <laughs> do not need them on any level. And like I said, the, the uh, Warrens investigated the house at one point and uh, Ed. Yeah. He claimed a some unknown force forced him down to the ground and held him down. 
And uh, Lorraine said she had this overwhelming psychic impression of the murders that happened before. Oh, so nothing of like anything that... Not necessarily anything demonic, but she had definitely felt the presence of... Something happened. Yeah. Okay. That's fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, yeah, and, I believe that. And supposedly that. there was a picture of a demonic looking child. Let me show you. Oh, I've part. seen that picture many You've times. Seen that yeah, like I said, I've watched a lot of shit on this. So but, yeah, I know what you're talking about. It was but that may or may not be true. In the hallway. Yeah. With the yeah. little boy yeah, appearing. Yeah, I've seen the picture as well, but it's been a while since I've actually seen it again. Yeah. So yeah, that's all the notes I have. Uh, Bobby, do you have any notes or did Chad get them all? We pretty much nailed them all. My favorite fact was the fact that they couldn't shoot in the house and yeah. they had to build. Yeah. That's how you know that's how you know it's caused controversy for not only New York, but the house itself and anybody who goes in it later on. Yeah. Uh what's crazy is that our normal questions kind of don't a- apply to this film. So we're gonna it's, gonna it's gonna be hit or miss from this point on. Uh some do, some don't. Yeah, yeah. Uh, douche of the movie. George. George, for sure. Yeah, no, there's an name in a dispute. It's George. I mean, and it's not really his fault because I'm, if we're to believe what happened, then, you know, he's under the influence of whatever evil presence was in the house. Yeah. Before. But yeah, he still gets douche of the movie. He decks his business partner. He slaps his wife. He goes after the kids with an axe. Transformation comes on very quick. Yeah. Well, they were only there for 28 days, too. And by the way, did you notice how, how much his hair grew? They grew like five inches in one day. Yeah, yeah, I thought that was pretty crazy. That that probably was just an effect for the movie. That's my superpower as well. (laughs) Yeah, but it's it's your beard. Beard of the hair on your head, no, TJ. (laughs) So moving on to our normal questions, we can't do favorite kill because nobody really dies. Yeah. Uh, The the, the only murder aside from the actual family getting murdered that we saw was yeah in a dream. Yeah, and. We can't really say favorite kill because they're all fucking kids and shit. So best scene. Uh, for me, I like the flies. I, I think that's really cool because of how you know difficult that would be to shoot. And the fact that they had to rub honey on people's fucking heads is funny to me. Yeah, I, I like that scene, too, just because the demonic voice telling him to get out always gave me chills. And even even watching it last night, it still gave me chills. Yeah, it's still creepy. Um, that was that that was one of my favorite scenes but um the other ones that i i really enjoyed actually were actually of george face literally just become stone okay like so there was no set scene just watching him throughout the movie go from the first day like two days later he's just yeah i know what you mean the evolution of of, of him yeah. throughout the movie and his slow descent into, into like practically insanity. And you can see in his face is getting pale and his eyes are a little more gaunt and he has yeah. dark circles. And, and then the voice coming through the woman's mouth at the red room. Yeah. Yeah, that was cool. Because that was the same voice that the priest heard upstairs. And can I just mention how useless the priest and the cop stories were in, in, in this film? Literally didn't really add to it at all. Yeah, especially the cop story. It didn't go anywhere at all. Yeah, it is very strange. I, I felt like they tried to force stories that really didn't fit into here. Well, I, I was reading on Rotten Tomatoes, one of the reviews, and some people were saying there were a lot of uh, plot lines that didn't go anywhere. And I'm thinking that's what they're referring to was the cops and the and the priest. And by the way, the one scene I really hated in the movie was the scene where the, the priests are driving down the road and something just takes control of their car. 
was yeah, just that was fucking weird. Yeah, that, was, that was terrible. That was that made absolutely no sense. I mean, if this the one I didn't house, like was. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I, I was just saying, you know, if this thing was haunting the house, how the hell was it exerting control over their car miles away? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. The other one I didn't like was the the priest's meeting up and he's blind and he doesn't say anything. Yeah. Yeah. You didn't really need to put that in. We understood that the man lost his faith and he's blind. Leave him alone. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I agree. I agree. Uh, best hits, hottest girl doesn't apply here. Yeah, there was like two women. It was Margot Kidder and uh, the psychic girl. Yeah. Uh, oh wait, 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 we skipped. Did the hope? Did the opening scene hook you in? Oh shit! Yeah. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, because that was the murders. Yeah, that was probably the cool. Yes. Literally, like I want to see the coolest part, but uh, it, it was definitely effective the way they, they did it. So, I love the music opening this movie. It sounds like Pet Cemetery. It, it is, and it, it kind of gets stuck in your head a little bit. There it, was actually a rumor yeah. going around that this was the original rejected score for The Exorcist. Huh, but yeah, that, that was, yeah. that's that's actually not true because the the original score did surface uh, somewhat recently, so it's not it's not the same one. Okay, it sounds nothing like it. No, no. Oh, and the the guy who did the score for this did do the second one as well, and he did Rush Hours two and three. Really? Oh shit! That's kind of yeah. I, I looked I looked him up because I'm like, this sounds like Pet Cemetery. The second like, one's called The Possession, that? right? Yes, Amityville two, The Possession. Okay. And then there was Amityville three. Uh, the demon that was in 3d 3d yeah i only remember the end of it where the demon pops up out of the the well in the bot in the basement and burns the priest's cool. face off yeah and drags him down so did the score oh, set the mood yeah. uh oh, yeah, yeah for yes, sure yes. absolutely yeah the score was actually effectively creepy uh best song would have to be the opening song uh really cool uh really creepy but like i said it, it kind of gets stuck in your head as well so by the way i also wanted to point this out in for some reason, it's not in my notes, but this was originally supposed to be a made-for-TV movie. Oh, really? Yes. Well, thank God that didn't happen because it made fucking bank. <laughs> it did uh, <laughs> damn good. And probably is the reason that we have half these fucking movies that we do today because this really kickstarted that supernatural aspect of shit. I mean, yeah. it's it's gnarly. It's yeah. Favorite character? Even though he's douche in the movie, I got to go with George. Okay. And we all agree on the best song being the opening song. Oh, right? yeah, yeah. Okay. okay. Absolutely. Yeah. Favorite character would be George as well. Like like you said, the evolution is really well done. There really is no other favorite for me personally to choose. I mean, it was really kind. He, everybody was significant, but he was the one that really brought it to life because it basically was about him. Right. Yeah, think for sure. It. Right. He was he was the most fully fleshed out character. So was it scary? No. Had its moments. It had its moments. But to me, as a guy that's been so desensitized to this stuff and kind of modern horror, taking films like these to the absolute limits and really, you know, not really ever redefining films like this. uh, I'd say no, but I'm sure at the time it was scary as fuck. So I'm going to have to say no. That's exactly what I was thinking, too. Like, maybe in 1979, it might have been a little bit. But we've seen so many haunted house movies and slashers. It's kind of, like you said, it's desensitized us to these sort of things. And there actually didn't seem to be a lot of haunting going on in this house. No, it was more uh, poltergeist type stuff. Yeah. And actually, poltergeist was a better movie. Oh, it was great. actually toned down compared to poltergeist. Yeah. Yeah. 
yeah, Poltergeist went all boss to the wall with the haunting, and this was just a... It's almost kind of like more of a psychological haunting. It was all more or less aimed at George than anybody else. I mean, yeah, you, had, right. you had the little girl that had the little invisible friend, Jody. Right but, out the window. But the kids were pretty much left alone. It was all about... It just wanted George for whatever... All the kids reason. in, what, five scenes? Yeah, yeah. And to, to go with if, if it's scary... Now it's the next question. I'll just basically say why it worked then and now it really kind of can't. Okay. I, I so then go and announce the next question at least. Okay, I do. Before we move on, I do want to say uh, the first time I watched this movie, I was a teenager. Uh-huh. And my mom got me to watch it because she read the book. And she told me when she had the book, every night she would have nightmares. As long as that book was in the house, she had nightmares. So she threw the book out. So I'm like, okay, this movie's going to be kind of scary. i got to give it a shot. So we sat there and watched it. And that night, I had nightmares, right? Mm-hmm. I woke up, and I swear to God, I opened my eyes, and I saw this shadowy figure standing there pointing a shotgun at my head. That's crazy. But wait. Shit. I woke up, and I saw it, and I blinked, and it was still there. What? Like, it wasn't just a trick. There was something there. It took, like, two minutes for this thing to just completely dissipate, whatever the hell it was. Are you going to tell me it stood there for two minutes? Yeah. Like, like, I'm not even lying. This thing, That's crazy. Whatever the hell it was, it didn't Were just disappear when I blinked. Were you sleep paralysis? Was that? It might have been. It could have been. It might have been. I would have loved to investigated that shit. Yeah. Uh, speaking of nightmares, I'll, I'll go tell you guys another McStrawn story. Uh, you know the scene in Nightmare 4 with the kaleidoscope and you see Freddy's eye? Yeah. That was an actual dream Mick had. Really? Yep. He said he actually uh, has dreams sometimes of Freddy Krueger. Oh. And a lot of those got, you know, turned into actual dream sequences in Nightmare. Nice. Uh, Monica Kenna, while she was filming, actually had nightmares of Freddy while she was filming Freddy vs. Jason as well. Such a lady killer. (laughs) Anyway, continue. Uh, Does it hold up today, Bobby? Uh, Tell us what you're going to say, buddy. So you, you go back and watch this movie. So if you're in 1979... Okay, well, a lot the of 70s, hair, a lot of hair. Boxier cars, continue. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but in terms of 70s movies going on, so you had Halloween, so it was Halloween set the bar in terms of the horror film. And then you get this film. Yeah. It's film in the beginning based on a true story. Suppose. And you didn't, you didn't know jack shit. Yeah. Went and saw it. Okay, this is going to be fucking scary. This actually happened. Now, for years, based on a true story, all the facts, somewhat facts, you read it, you've heard about it. Little kid, this movie, and expect him to believe it because he could fucking find out the information. Like, mom, dad, this was bullshit. So you're, what you're so, saying is is that it doesn't hold up today, really, because we know too much. Exactly. Okay, fair enough, and I can Halloween agree 100% holds up, that. Halloween holds up better. Halloween holds up that. because it's an, it's it's iconic, and the way it is and the way it is filmed is, is absolute perfection. And I think the fact that Michael has zero motive for the things that he does, I think this allows that to hold up today because really every other killer has a motive except Michael. And it, it's just pure... You know, it's just pure evil. And that's exactly yeah. why the John Carpenter version is superior to Rob Zombies in every single way. Absolutely. I hate the Rob I do Zombies. Love the zomb- I do love the zombie version for what he did. I'm pretty sure that it ruined it for me when, like, 
they use the word cunt in the first five minutes when Lori's talking to her mom. So, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> I just I just hated the whole and we've talked about this, the whole white trash aspect of it. Yeah. And that, that's what they turned it into. Yeah, It was completely. Um, I was sort of looking for cliche. Yeah. And they killed fucking Danielle Harris, but we're not going to get into that. Uh, <laughs> she survived the first one. She she, she did. The and then we get an off screen kill for her for the second one. But we did get to see her breasts. That's true. We're nice. Yes, they were. Nice. <laughs> okay, enough about that. Was the uh, Chad? How does it hold up today? What you no, answer? No, no. It's okay. like I said. If it, it, looking back now, it kind of looks and feels like it could have easily just been a made-for-TV movie. Yes. Was the acting good or bad? The acting was great. I mean, oh yeah, yeah, top notch. Yeah, especially James Brolin. That dude was phenomenal in this. But yeah, he was fucking great. Again, the evolution. Just think about it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, that that takes some sort of uh, you know character type uh, method acting, you know, to definitely get into that t- sort of mindset and uh, really show that that type of evolution, like we mentioned before. Do you like the cinematography? I personally do not. This is one of those movies that I'm just going to go and say that the, cin- the the lack of good cinematography definitely affected my judgment on this film and definitely took away from it for me. There was just some shots that really didn't like could have been better and some shots that uh, I felt like just didn't make sense. So there was a lot of this movie that just didn't make sense. And that's just not the cinematography. Like we said, the dangling plots, the plot lines with the, the cop. And where did the cop go? It's like he was sitting out the house, sitting outside the house, watching them bless the house at one point. And then he's like gone. Yeah, I, I don't know. There's just a lot of stuff that, that could have been better. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I didn't really. I don't know, this, this cinematography, it, it, I didn't hate it. It just kind of was there yeah. for me. I don't know. In uh, terms of how it looked, but the, the other shit, like you guys just said, this this movie was 118 minutes long. Probably about 20 minutes could have been cut out of that. Two hours. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's what I was thinking. It was definitely a little bit too long. Uh, do you like the premise? I do. Uh Primarily because of the stories, but a lot like like Chad said, it really doesn't follow the book. And they did a lot of things just because it's a movie. So do I like the premise? Yes. Chad, I do like the premise. I love a good premise of a good haunted house, which there aren't nearly enough good haunted house movies. But uh, but I really feel like just the real story was the murders at the beginning. That should have been the first movie. That would have been great. But I could see why it wasn't. That's that's to me the more interesting story is the actual story of the murders and what happened there. Like I said, you know, we're never going to know why. It's all uh, he, it's all he he said she said basically. But that yeah. to me was the the, mo- the more interesting part of the story. But yeah, I like the premise. Sure, Bobby. I love the premise, but um, like you said before, with this should have been about the murders. Shit that happened on set, like everybody said, shit happened. Mm-hmm. Or that it was really haunted. It better um, for the movie itself and the people behind it. Her mouth shut. It would have been better for that part of it, but the premise itself is. But I would have loved to have gotten a more close to the book. Yeah, I agree completely. Yeah, sure. Because the, the book itself, I never read it, but I've heard excerpts. 
read a Stephen King novel and watch one of his movies, it's like, what the hell did you do? Yeah, yeah no for shit. sure, for sure. And that's probably the prime example of book to movie. This sucks. This was better. Oh, I, I'd rather read the book. Perfect. I will. I will say that uh, the movie version of Jaws is actually better than the book to me. Yeah. There's a lot left out of that too. Yeah, there was like, but there's a, I can see why. Like, there was a whole unnecessary plot with Hooper having an affair with the bro, with the, the sheriff. Mafia. Wife. Yeah, it's there's a lot of stuff that didn't, and the ending was completely different too. Yeah, it's supposed to be him stabbing it like Ahab and the whale. Yeah, and then the shark and just, he's dragged out. Yeah, and the shark just eventually dies from the uh, the barrels holding him up. So yeah, but I like the Hollow ending better. <laughs> awesome. So my rating is going to be a one point five. Chad, I'm going to be a little more generous and go two. Okay, and Bobby, I agree with the two. It for the time it came out, that the movie is, that pushed forward. So I I'll give it a two. That's a 1.8 Gore and More rating for 1979's The Amityville Horror. So it's still a watchable movie. Yeah, it's but it's, just, it's good, but it's not. There's just too much behind it to scare you. Right. It's it's not going to keep you up at night. Definitely. Your house is haunted. Yeah. <laughs> you just fucked. <laughs> yeah. So uh, what do we got next week, Chad? Let's see. Next week is ooh, Demon Knight. Oh, that's something I haven't watched yet. So neither have I. That, that's, it's a fun movie. It's a Tales from the Crypt movie. Oh, okay, sweet. Oh, 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 okay, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, so so you know it's just gonna be bloody fun. Awesome. Well, I'm definitely looking forward to that, and all you listeners out there can definitely as well. But we'll be back next Monday for another wonderful episode. And stay tuned for some awesome announcements and some really cool content coming all our gory gals and guys ways. But as always, this is your host with the most TJ Bowser signing off. This is your dark Lord of knowledge. Chad Christman saying, see ya. This is your killing machine. Bobby and Moan saying, kill you later. <laughs> Yeah, creepy girls. Do you like spooky things in horror movies? Then Cabin 13 has the stuff for you. Check out their selection of horror-themed props, bins, busts, action figures, collectibles, and more. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram. Be sure to visit Cabin13.com and buy something, or I'll kill you! Marcio Charlie's Horror Costume Studios. Premium hand-sculpted latex masks, butts, and hoods. Everything is handmade and painted by Marcio himself. Be sure to check out his wide-ranging selection of products over at Facebook and Instagram at Horror Costume Studios. 